If you would, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 28. I know some of you were hoping to not hear that this Sunday. Last week, we finished our study of Acts, and Pastor Brent wrote it down in his Bible. So this is not a continuation of our study of Acts. <laughs> so, um, we've been studying through Acts for just over two years, and today I do want to return there. We... We kind of glossed over the quoted portion of the 28th chapter of Acts. Uh, so today I'd like for us to read verses 23 through 31 and, and focus in on this, these last words that Paul spoke to those who came and listened. Acts 28 verses 23 through 31. Please follow along in your copy of God's word as I read. When they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers. And he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. Some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. <coughs> And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul spoke, had spoken one parting word. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. And with their ears they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes. And hear with their ears. And understand with their heart. And return. And I would heal them. Trying God of Holy Scripture. We thank you. For your word. And we pray today that you would bless it to our sanctification. Make us good seed for the soil of the gospel. Hide this preacher behind the cross and help us in the preaching of your word to hear the voice of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. In these final verses, this final chapter of Acts, Paul addresses those who have listened to his preaching. They have heard about Jesus, they heard about his life and his death and his resurrection, and to the praise of God's glorious grace, verse 24 tells us, some believed. Praise God. Some believe. Now, how many of them deserved salvation? Not one. How many of them were worthy? Not one. It is only to the praise of the glorious grace of God that they were saved. Some believe, verse 24 says, but others, it tells us, did not believe. They, 
disbelieved. Hearing the gospel, they rejected Jesus as the Messiah and as the Savior of sinners. And as they're about to leave, Paul says these last words to them. Now we'll remember that this crowd is a crowd of Jews. So when Paul says in verse 25, the Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your fathers. When he says that, that would have grabbed their attention. They, they claim to be worshipers of God. So when he invokes the name of the Holy Spirit, they would listen. They would respect Isaiah as a prophet of God. And Paul also mentions here, brings up, Isaiah spoke to your fathers. And that would have caused their ears to perk up. As we read, this quote from Isaiah may not grab our attention as it did theirs, but we would do well to pay attention, to focus in, as they were certainly listening as Paul spoke. When Paul quotes here from Isaiah, it's Isaiah chapter 6. And I, I so appreciate Brother Jeff, our worship leader, as we have sung and read the text and, and read references to the text and it's fresh on our minds. This comes from Isaiah chapter 6 and Paul is speaking to them about worship. About worship. I, I will confess to you, Isaiah 6 is a precious passage that just reading through it makes me want to preach that text. And this is not a sermon on Isaiah 6, but this sermon on Acts 28 quotes from Isaiah 6. Paul here is a worshiper of Jesus Christ and he is calling others in his preaching. He's calling others to worship the Savior as he does. Those who rejected the gospel were not worshipers of Jesus. They were worshiping another. They were worshiping another. And, and we must point out here, we need to recognize that the God of Scripture is the God that Paul worshiped. The God of Scripture is uh, triune. Now, if that word is, is not familiar to you, uh, we use the word trinity. The, the God of Scripture is one God, one in essence, but three in subsistences or three in persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is the God of Scripture as He has revealed Himself to us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as we go to Scripture and see the revelation of this God to man, the revelation of Jesus Christ, we see that God's Son, Jesus took on flesh to become a man so that he was God and man, fully God and fully man, the man, Christ Jesus. But those Jews who rejected Jesus, they did not worship a Trinitarian God, a triune God, and they did not worship a God who had a son, a God who sent his son to die. They worshiped a God without a son and a God who was not triune. 
So it's important for us to see that they were not worshiping the same God as Paul. They were idolaters, worshiping a false God who was not triune and who did not have a son, Jesus Christ, who came, took on flesh as the Messiah. Paul is calling them, as he is a worshiper of Jesus Christ, he is calling them to worship Jesus, the Messiah. And he quotes Isaiah 6, and this text that he quotes is a worshiping text. I would like for us to turn to Isaiah chapter 6. And I'd like for us to read 10 verses. Isaiah chapter 6. This is a worshiping text. In Isaiah 6 we read, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and lifted up, with the train of His robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above Him, each having six wings. With two He covered His face, with two He covered His feet, and with two He flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of these thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Isaiah speaking in verse 5 says, Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongues. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. And he said, go and tell this people. Now this is where Paul quoted, go and tell this people, keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and return and be healed. In this precious text from Isaiah 6, Isaiah is a worshiper. I said this is a worshiping text. Isaiah is a worshiper from the very beginning. And, and we have no question when he says in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. This is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ that Isaiah gazes upon. The Father is a spirit and no one has seen the Father, but the Son reveals Him. He is looking here at the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. 
Isaiah is worshiping and he's worshiping along with these other wonderful worshipers, the seraphim who worship God and ascribe to him all holiness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Now the Jewish speaker would understand the use of repetition Repeating things to emphasize a point or to draw attention to something. Uh, you can think of examples that we see. I think the easiest example for us, we grow up hearing this. Verily, verily, I say unto you. Truly, truly. And, and when Jesus repeats those words, truly, truly, or verily, verily, he is drawing attention and emphasizing the importance of the truth of the words that follow. It's a repetition. As I studied and started looking at repetitions, there are larger repetitions where things are repeated in larger things, but, but there are also repetitions that, that will be familiar to you when Jesus repeats Martha, Martha. Or Simon, Simon. Satan has desired to sift you. Or if you remember, Paul, who is here quoting Isaiah on the road to Damascus, Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Repetition draws attention and emphasizes a thing. When Isaiah peers into heaven here and he observes the worship of God, he hears holy, holy, holy. And this is a superlative. Holy is something. Holy, holy, repeated would emphasize this, but repeated three times, holy, 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 brings the idea of most holy. Now we, we hear people say this, and we say this, God is the Holy One. The Holy One. I believe, uh, I think A.W. Tozer was the one who brought this idea to my mind first, that it is proper for us to call God the Holy. He is, if there's one thing, He is Holy. If there's one attribute, if there's one thing to talk about, He is Holy. Isaiah is worshiping here and the angels are worshiping holy, holy, holy. And they're worshiping the holy of heaven. This worship. Looking to God and seeing him as he reveals himself leads Isaiah to self-examination. Seeing God, seeing the holiness of God. He looks inwardly in verse 5. He sees his own sinfulness and he says, Woe is me, for I am ruined. I am undone. Friends, I, ho I hope you have had that very experience of considering the holiness of God and, and then looking to yourself and saying, Woe is me, I am undone. Seeing God brings about self-examination. For my eyes have seen the King, he says. 
My eyes have seen the king. Seeing the king, seeing the Lord Jesus Christ seated on the throne, he is made highly aware of his own sinfulness. Now, if I were preaching this passage in, in Isaiah 6, which I'm not, I would tell you everything that is described here is stuff you can see with your face toward the ground. He, he doesn't describe the stuff up here. He describes the thresholds. He describes the train. He describes what he can see with his head bowed and his face toward the ground. He sees the holiness of God and he is faced with his own sin. The angel comes with this coal and touches his lips and says, this has touched your mouth. You are clean. You are cleansed. You are forgiven of sin. Then we see in this text, Isaiah, after seeing Christ the King, after seeing himself and his sinfulness rightly, after being cleansed of his sin, God calls Isaiah to look at the world, to look at the world of sinful men. This is Isaiah's call. Whom shall I send? Who will go for me? It's as though we hear the fields are white unto harvest. And Isaiah answers the call. Here am I. Send me. Then God gives Isaiah, this worshiper, a commission. Go and call others to worship. Go and call others to become disciples, worshipers. But as we read this commission, doesn't it sound strange? Doesn't it sound, doesn't it sound odd to our ears? It's as though we hear, Isaiah, here's your commission, but you're not going to be successful. Some might say that Isaiah won't be successful because that's how we think. Isaiah will not draw huge crowds. He won't have the mega church. There will not be a big successful building program in Isaiah's future. Isaiah, you're going to go and you're going to preach and they're not going to listen. The great majority will not receive your message. They will reject it and thereby reject the God whose message it is. The act of preaching Isaiah will do this in verse 10. It will render the hearts of this people insensitive. Their ears dull, their eyes dim. They will be deaf and blind to what you preach. But Christians, we need to recognize that Isaiah is successful. This is successful ministry. He hears God's call and he obeys God's commission. This is successful ministry. And this rending the people insensitive is an aspect of preaching. It's an aspect of preaching even to this day. Second Corinthians tells us 
That we are fragrance of Christ to the world. Now this is certainly in preaching, but it's not only in preaching, it's also in Christian living. So this applies to the preacher, but it also applies to every believer in Jesus Christ. You are a fragrance of Christ to the world. And this is wonderful. This is what we all want. Those who are being saved, we are a fragrance of life unto life. That's what we want. And that's what every preacher wants, right? But this is another biblical aspect of our living for Christ. And a biblical aspect of preaching the message of Jesus Christ. To those who are perishing in their sin, we are an aroma of death unto death. You may not like that. But this is what God's word tells us. Isaiah's ministry would be exactly this, a fragrance of life unto life and a fragrance of death unto death. And as Paul speaks to these Jews as they came, as they heard, and some believed and he was a fragrance of life and some disbelieved and he was a fragrance of death. He was speaking life to life and speaking words of judgment and death to the dead. There's certainly an aspect here which some are uncomfortable with. Even last week, I was already asked questions about this. God is sending his word. He's sending a preacher and, and the word will be preached by the preacher. And the word will do a hardening work on their hard hearts. The word of God will do a hardening work on their hard hearts. Now listen, there is no case where God hardens and condemns a soul who desires to follow Jesus. Now that's what some will say. Oh, are you telling me that God takes people who want to follow Jesus, who want to love Christ, and he condemns them? No, there is no case. Where someone who desires to follow Jesus Christ as a disciple in repentance and faith is condemned and hardened. God does not harden the one who follows Christ. He does not do violence to the will of a person. He does not do violence to the will of a person. But the sinner... Who already hates Jesus Christ and rejects him by their nature and out of their will. To that sinner, God does blind their eyes and close their ears. Our confession summarizes the teaching of scripture. And you can find it if you want to turn in your hymnal to page 673. You'll find our confession uh, in those pages and the specific piece that I'll be reading, page 673. We're going to be reading from chapter 5, the chapter on divine providence. 673, not hymn 673 with the big numbers at the top, but page 673, tiny numbers at the bottom, and it's way toward the back. Chapter 5 is the chapter on divine providence. And paragraph 6 specifically speaks to what we're talking about here. 
I still hear pages turning, so I want to wait. Chapter 5, paragraph 6. As for those wicked and ungodly men whom God, as a righteous judge, as the righteous judge, for former sin doth blind and harden, from them he not only withholdeth his grace, whereby they might have been enlightened in their understanding and wrought upon their hearts, but sometimes also withdraweth the gifts which they had and exposeth them to such objects as their corruption makes occasion of sin. And withal gives them over to their own lusts, the temptations of the world and the power of Satan. Whereby it comes to pass that they harden their hearts. They harden themselves under those means which God useth for softening of others. So God hardens and they harden and it is in concert, if you will. This is not a doctrine often heard in our churches today, but it is a doctrine of the scripture. Even as I read from the confession, if you if you hear, you will hear the words of scripture coming forth. God giving them over to their own lust and to the temptation of the world, the power of Satan. God hardens the hearts of men, but he does so in concert with their fallen sinful will. And they also harden themselves. So if someone were to ask the question, do men harden their own hearts or does God harden their hearts? The answer is yes. Yes, on both accounts. And our confession points out this, the very thing that God uses to draw some to Jesus Christ, the preaching of the word is the same thing that hardens others. Some hear the preaching of the cross and are humbled in repentant faith and are saved. And others hear the same preaching about the same Jesus, the same death on the cross, the same resurrection, and they are hardened by it. And they harden their hearts. In Acts 28, Paul is speaking here to unbelieving Jews who have heard the gospel message and have rejected it and they are about to leave. And what he speaks here is a warning to them. Don't be like the ones we know of from Isaiah 6. Don't be the ones whose heart is hardened. Don't be those who hear Without hearing. Don't be the one who sees without seeing. Don't become blind and deaf to the truth of God. As we consider this blindness and deafness, there's another text which will illuminate this even further for us. And I'd like for you to turn there. It's Psalms, Psalm 115. Psalm 115, I'd like for you to see these striking words. Psalm 115, we'll read eight verses.
Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. Why should the nations say, where now is their God? But our God is in the heavens. He doth whatever he pleases. Verse 4. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths but cannot speak. They have eyes but they cannot see. They have ears but they cannot hear. They have noses but they cannot smell. They have hands but they cannot feel. They have feet but they cannot walk. This is the idols that they make and that they worship. They cannot, verse 7 ends, they cannot make a sound in their throat. Verse 8 is what I want us to see. Those who make them will become like them. Everyone who trusts in them. Those who make them will become like them. Everyone who trusts in them. Last week I told you I was going to title the sermon something like, You Are What You Eat. When, when I have shared this, because I've been talking about this for two weeks now. When I've shared this with others... I've heard repeatedly the same thing. Oh, garbage in, garbage out. Do you see it? What you expose yourself to, what you take in, you become. I, I just think we need to pause here. I need to check the time. We need to pause here and think about what we take in. What comes into our Conscious mind and our subconscious mind. What we worship. Someone wrote a book. I haven't read it. But the title of the book is You Become What You Worship. That's what this says. Those who make these idols, those who trust in them, they become like them. And how are they? We've just had this explanation from Psalm 115. They have mouths but can't speak. They have eyes but can't see. They have ears but can't hear. And you become like them. Those who worship deaf, blind, dead idols, they become like them. Deaf to the gospel. Blind to the truth of God. Dead to the kingdom of God. In Isaiah's day, those who rejected God, they rejected God's truth in exchange for a lie. God gave them over to lies. In Paul's day, those who disbelieved the gospel, they became blind and deaf. And in our day, those who reject Jesus Christ. They are hardened in their hearts toward God. And closed, closed off to salvation. Let me pause right here. I mean, again, I'm getting away from my notes, but I want to I want to I want to focus in on this. Christian. That's who you were. 
That's who you would still be, but for the grace of God reaching to take a worthless sinner and draw you to Jesus Christ. Paul speaks these words in Acts 28 to those Jews and he warns them. Maybe you're not yet totally blind. Maybe you're not yet completely deaf. Believe in Jesus now before it is too late. And beloved, that's the message today. You're here. You're hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ that he died for forgiveness of sin. That he rose and in him we might have life. Life everlasting. Believe in Jesus today. Some of you are muting Jesus in your life. Just like, just like when the commercials come on and you hit that mute button on your TV and you hear no sound. Some of you are muting Jesus Christ in that same way. You get caught up in life without a thought for the Savior. The Bible calls this muting of Jesus Christ quenching the Spirit. You, you may say, well, I'm, I'm not hostile toward Jesus. I'm not hostile toward religion or the church. But Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're against me. You're either for me or against me. Sinner, today, hear his voice. Do not harden your heart. Today is the day of salvation. Run to Jesus by faith, repenting of your sin. Come to him for forgiveness of sin. And don't delay. You don't know that this is not the last opportunity you'll have. Listen and truly hear Christ. Look to Jesus and really see him with eyes of faith. Don't become one who is blind and deaf and remain in your trespasses and sins. Dead. In just a moment, we're going to come to the Lord's table. And Christians will take these elements of the table which point us to Jesus Christ. The cup represents the blood of Jesus that was shed on Calvary's cross to pay our sin. And the bread represents his body and the righteousness which he earned for those who would believe in him. Sinner, that, that little piece of bread and that half ounce of wine will not do anything for you. It will not save you. As a matter of fact, the scripture talks about because it's a consecrated thing, it will do detriment if you come without Christ. These elements do nothing. But these elements point us to Jesus Christ. They point us to his life and his death. 
And we share in his life and his death and his resurrection by faith, believing in him. We come by repentant faith to receive forgiveness of sin and a robe of righteousness. Sinner, don't be like those who rejected Isaiah's message. Don't follow in the path of those whom Paul warned, but they stayed unbelieving and perished in their sin. Come to Jesus today and be saved. And Christian, use this opportunity to remember that he brought you up out of a horrible pit. A pit of sin. Where you were unwilling and unable to help yourself. Use this as an opportunity to purge any pride from your heart. And let us say with the Apostle Paul that we boast in Christ. Christians ought to be braggers, right? We ought to be braggers. We ought to brag, brag, brag. As long as we're bragging on Jesus and what he has done. We boast in Christ. We're humble. And we're grateful. God, we thank you for your word. Even for difficult passages that are hard Sometimes for us to understand and sometimes even hard for us to accept. And God help us. <coughs> Sanctify us by your truth. Help us to know you deeper, better, more rightly. Because we know you by your word. God, we pray that you would draw sinners to salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name.